You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer here from our Grand Forks studios. Uh, Just a reminder that our website, realpresenceradio.com, gives you a lot of great information about the scheduling, the programming. Also, there is a way to register to receive emails in your inbox with updates of local hosts and topics for the local programming that we have, uh, numerous other things, uh, the opportunity to request uh, prayers from our listening uh, area and our family, and to uh, participate in praying together for particular intentions and needs, uh, blessings for things that are that are going well for you and your families. So that's all available on our website, realpresenceradio.com. And now we're going to turn to our uh, next guest to talk about um, uh, really one of the uh, towering figures in in Catholic literature within the last uh, century. We have Kristen Van Uden with us. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, Let's just go ahead and begin by um, uh, getting acquainted with you. If you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you have gotten into the the work that you do. Sure. So I am first and foremost editor at Catholic Exchange, which is an online apostolate under the umbrella of Sophia Institute Press, where I also work. And I have the lucky job of basically being the spokesperson for all of our reprints. So all the authors who cannot be here themselves physically to be talking with you, I get to pick up that work and basically do virtual book tours for the books that we publish about probably two or three reprints each month. So several of those I get to read in close detail and try to answer as many questions as possible to entice people to maybe want to pick up the book. Now, does this mean that you appear in costume and character <laughs> as you're in front of audiences, or, or do you not uh, quite go that far? If only. No, I don't think it's that much fun, um, but I have been on some really interesting platforms. I find often the secular platforms are sometimes the most intriguing interviews, because it's oftentimes the first time people are really experiencing or hearing about the faith. So yeah. one that I am a recurring guest on that I just love is called Coast to Coast AM. <laughs> it's a very interesting, it's kind of a yes. paranormal theme. <laughs> um, right. Late, late night show. So I've been so promoted Kristen, from the how, 3 how, a.m. How long have you been communicating <laughs> with the paranormal? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, in their interpretation, baptism, I guess. Like, I would say. <laughs> Yeah. So, yes, yeah. they're interested in, strangely, Eucharistic miracles and, and things right. like that. So hopefully, sure. yeah, converting a few people. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I remember on more than one occasion on a late-night drive uh, tuning into, I think, uh, the, the, the flagship in Western North Dakota, KFYR, you know, would oftentimes uh, air their program out of Bismarck yep. and various <laughs> other places. So, yes, that is a, that is a familiar name. And, and I appreciate your mentioning also being on various uh, platforms like that, you know, as a way of um, fielding the kinds of questions that might come from out of left field, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. the things that you would most expect uh, from one believer to another, so well, to speak. And, and again, I mean, just can't really overemphasize this, but you mentioned earlier, Father, about just the intimacy that happens between a listener and radio. And radio is an incredible platform. Of It, it allows people in the 
sanctity of their own car or their own place or whatever to really dive into things in in, in a deep way. And I unfortunately mm-hmm. I heard that the new e cars that are electric cars are coming out. They're not going to have AM radios in them anymore. Oh so. no. <laughs> I know, it tra- it's tragedy, no, seriously. Yeah, so. you know, people are going to have to almost go exclusively to, um, you know, downloading content or going, you know, mm-hmm. syncing up with apps and stuff like yeah. that, you know, which uh, uh, for for the older generations is going to be more of a challenge. But, um, uh, Kristen, if you can tell us a little bit about uh, the author that we're going to be uh, discussing, uh, Carol Houselander, um, uh, give us a little bit of an introduction on her life, if you would, please. Sure. So, as you mentioned, Father Carol Hauslander is one of these big names in 20th century Catholic literature, especially English Catholic literature. She was born in England in 1901 and was pretty sickly throughout her whole life, so she only lived into her 50s. And she is a convert. So she was born Anglican and converted when she was a child, actually, when her mother converted. So what she's best known for, which is a very cute way of putting it, but she refers to herself as a rocking horse Catholic rather right. than a cradle Catholic because she converted when she was little. So a very memorable image there. But she actually fell away from the faith even after that conversion. Her parents separated. She was sort of sent around to different schools until she was 16 and explored many other religions, abandoned Catholicism for several years. She worked menial jobs, was kind of adrift in her life, and she finally returned to the church by the mid-1920s, mainly through the church's access to beauty. So she really accessed the faith through the beauty of the liturgy, the beauty of sacred art, and she actually worked as a painter and woodcarver to design sacred art herself. So that's how she really reconnected with the church, and that's very much apparent in her craft, especially her craft of writing. While it's nonfiction, it has this very literary bent to it. So I always say that her work really defies genre because this is a work of somewhat of science. She really delves into psychoanalysis, um, a spiritual work, but it really reads almost like a novel or like a piece of literary criticism and just the immediate way she speaks to the writer. Um, She was also considered a mystic. She had, or she claimed she had, this hasn't been investigated by the Church officially, as far as I know, but she claimed to have had visions of the suffering Christ, so she was very connected to the Passion. She even claims that she had a vision of the Tsar of Russia, so that's pretty interesting, a big political, obviously, event at the time of of her writing. And she also was peripherally involved with the the then-emerging field of psychology. So that is what this book really discusses. She had no formal training in psychology, but she would actually be serving the community almost as a Catholic talk therapist before that was really a thing. Priests would even send some of their most difficult cases who of people who were suffering both mentally and spiritually to Carol Houselander, and she would provide this service that really, again, was outside of any specific genre where she would pray for them, be a sort of spiritual advisor, but also allow them just a helping hand, someone to talk to, to discuss whatever problems were facing them and to help them work through them in a way that incorporated a lot of the learning of modern psychology, but also was sure to have it grounded in the faith because, and we'll see that's a large criticism of the field of psychology that she puts forward in the book, that field, at least towards the beginning, was very atheistic in nature. It was materialist, it viewed the person almost as an animal, kind of reduced the person to instincts 
and denied the existence of the rational soul. Freud and Jung were both atheists, and that really was baked into the field. So she provides a very important service and context during this time to bridge the gap between modern science and the faith. I, I know, like, um, <clears throat> you know, we're here to kind of... I don't know, promote, but to discuss her, 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 her book called Guilt, which we'll get to here shortly. But I, I just wanted to share with our listeners, like I, she's actually had an impact in my life and through uh, two connections. One is um, uh, one place I, I love to go for retreat. It's called Madonna House. It's up in uh, Combermere in Canada. Was, they're centered out. They have, this is uh, Catherine Doherty's movement. And there's like 22 houses throughout the world, and they have a strong, uh, just kind of like a Russian icon um, influence word. But in their, uh, the, the chapel for one of the retreat houses in Combermere, on the wall are hand-carved stations by Carol Houselander, who she actually, wow. she actually had spent time there at one point. And um, these are simple wood-carving ones, and uh, her, her art form is so profound. And another... I'm actually spiritual director for a group of Benedictines called the um, Bethlehem Community of Benedict Benedictine Oblates, and they they also have her her painted version of um, the Stations of the Cross in their chapel, which and, and again her her art form is so very simple, but it's so powerful. Like it, it I, of all the stations I've seen, it, it's I don't even know how to explain it. Hers have a way of getting past everything and just like piercing my heart, my mind, my imagination. And so, and you can, you can tell something like that came from a world of personal suffering, who has this ability to use this medium of art uh, to, to communicate. And so, um, and I do know like she herself, she referred to herself as a neurotic. And I think it's, it's she had this ability to actually love people out of their mental illness, I think is one way mm -hmm. that she's been described. Absolutely. And wow, what a privilege to be able to see her art in person in real life. That's amazing. But she definitely did. That's, that's really what she provided is when we think of the field of psychology and, and medical health, it's often somewhat sanitized. And she really went across that boundary or that border to see the person as they were. And she is greatly known for her writings about the mystical body of Christ. And this is something she addresses in the book Guilt, is this idea that when one member of the body of Christ is hurting, we all are hurting. And she speaks of the responsibility that each Catholic has to take upon the sufferings of their brothers. And she even says that the answer to, are you thy brother's or not my brother's keeper, should not be yes, it should go beyond that, and should say, I am my brother. So she has this deep sense of solidarity and empathy that really shines through right. in her and that, work. Wow. And, and that solidarity that she had is because she and she she was famous for saying things like, um, you know, I don't think you're going to come to know Christ if you look at the saints, if you look at the the cleaned up, but if you go and get to know the man on the street who's smoking and drinking and into things, you'll discover Christ more quickly. And, and then she, you know, she kind of, in her own humble way, like, you know, I smoke, I drink, I, I'm neurotic, you know? So she, mm -hmm. she really, you know, she really dwelled in that clever disguise of Christ and the broken person. She, she totally had this ability to just identify uh, with that person out, out there who's, 
who, who, the rest of us would probably like be disgusted by them or walk by or say, oh, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this person. But she had this incredible ability to identify with them and to go to actually love them. Absolutely. And she also makes the saints very accessible, not only to the readers, but to these people as well. And it's bridging that gap where she, she really shines too. Yeah. Well, we're going to be to stepping aside for just a moment here, and after we return, we're going to look a little bit more carefully at this particular book, Guilt by Carol Houselander, and some of the lessons that we can take from it today. So we are joined by Kristen Van Uden, uh, editor from Catholic Exchange, and uh, we'll continue our conversation after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. I'm Father Richard Kunst with a Papal Minute. When Pope John Paul II was shot in 1981, he was rushed into emergency surgery due to multiple internal lacerations. The blood loss was great. He was given six pints of donated blood to keep him alive during those critical hours. He was fortunate it was available. He was among only 3% of the population with blood type AB negative. Not wanting to risk another potential tragedy, after his recovery, his doctors advised that some of his own blood be stored in case of emergency. From then on, wherever the Pope traveled, a few pints of his own blood were kept near just in case. After his death in 2005, the Vatican realized that the supply of blood would now be considered a unique relic. Upon his beatification, the Holy See allowed distribution of small fragments of cloth dipped in his blood to be venerated as relics. This has been Father Richard Kunst with the Papal Minute. To learn more, visit papalartifacts.com. That's papalartifacts.com. God's blessings to all of you. My name is Father Chad Wilhelm, and I'm a priest of the Diocese of Fargo. And this year I celebrate 25 years of being a priest. And the joy, the great things that I love about the priesthood is the deep relationship that Jesus and I have as speaking heart to heart. He knows the depths of my heart and he speaks to all of us in the depths of our heart. That's what I enjoy about being a priest, that I get to speak about Jesus, not just on Sundays, but every day of my life and that I've given my life to Jesus and the Church. What a wonderful grace and a gift that has been for me for 25 years, and to serve the good people of the Diocese of Fargo, but just to serve the Church as a whole. May God continue to bless all of you as you listen to Real Presence Radio. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross joined by Father Jason Leffer, priest of the Diocese of Fargo. We're coming to you from our Grand Forks studios, and we currently are visiting with Kristen Van Uden regarding um, uh, author from the first half of the 20th century, Carol Houselander. Now, for a lot of our listeners, they may be thinking, you know, that name is vaguely familiar, but I can't quite put my finger on it. If you are a regular user of the devotional Magnificat, it seems like all 
almost every month, at least mm -hmm. one or two of the reflections following the daily masses are taken from some of her writings. So that might be a, a, a way for, um, you know, our um, maybe those who don't style themselves as very scholarly to kind of dip a toe in and, and get familiar with her. But uh, the particular book that we're going to be talking about here is um, Guilt by uh, Carol Hauslander. So um, what are some of the main themes that you want to leave us and our listeners with, uh, Kristen, as you think about this particular work? So her main thesis in this book, and this is a very bold thesis, is that all neurosis, as she defines it, so this can include a whole array of mental illness as well as agoraphobia and hypochondria, things like that, all of this has at its root unresolved guilt. And, of course, we know as Catholics that guilt has a purpose. It points us toward repentance. It's a function of the conscience, and God gave us the conscience so that we can avoid evil and choose good. And when we violated the moral law, we do feel guilt, which alerts us that we've done something wrong and we need to go to confession. And she devotes a large portion of this book to extolling the virtues of making a good confession and how utilizing the graces that Jesus makes available to us through the sacraments is the only true way to fully expiate that guilt and to, to get rid of it. Um, everyone can relate to that sort of feeling of euphoria after just leaving the confessional, and even absent that, we know that the graces are still present. And so her discussion in this book is what happens when people do not take that proper means of expiation of guilt, that is confession, repentance, amendment of life, and instead let guilt fester in their souls. And she argues that really there's no um, condition that cannot be traced back to this. Psychosomatic, psychic, mental conditions, and emotional and spiritual conditions as well, which is a very fascinating point of view. But she discusses how Instead of when, when people do not face guilt head on, they instead mask it through various means of distraction. So she has a chapter entitled Mechanisms of Escape, where she discusses these ways that we try to self absolve that will ultimately never work. So one of them is by distracting, by just ignoring the guilt. Another is of justifying the sin and making the sin almost an idol unto itself, which I think we see a lot in today's culture with lobbying for certain sinful lifestyles, for example, that is this overcompensation that she discusses. She says that psychologists of her day relate neuroses of many kinds to, quote, unresolved feelings of guilt, and ultimately makes the point that without the ultimate means of resolving the feeling, that guilt will only transmogrify into various pathologies. Uh, interestingly, she also discusses collective guilt. So she's writing in 1951, and it's apparent from her writing that she was very affected by the horrors of the Holocaust, and she references the Holocaust throughout. Um, she has a section of profiles of individuals at the end of the book that include a Holocaust guard, and she makes the argument that um, this, this was a woman, a female guard, that this woman's unresolved guilt from earlier in her life turned her into this sort of monster who was sadistic and violent because she was trying to cope with and escape from those feelings and numb them out through violence. And this is her theory about a lot of crime, too. But also the idea that people punish themselves. So 
um, she interestingly says that people commit crimes so that they can be punished because they think that by being punished, justice will be served and the feeling of guilt will go away. But in the context of collective guilt, she talks about joining membership in a group, uh, a large group, a political ideology, for example, as another one of these mechanisms of escape. Um, she says that at the root of unresolved guilt, there's an unwillingness to face self-knowledge, suffering, and responsibility. And that when we're avoiding those three things, we're more susceptible to this sort of um, propagandizing uh, that we saw in Nazi Germany and in communism, for example. So she talks about a group, a collective group, offering an alleviation of self-responsibility. You can kind of subsume your individuality in the group identity. But that ultimately, none of these can kill the soul or can change the true nature of the soul or the reality of sin. So it's only through humility and facing the reality of sin, the reality of the possibility of redemption through Christ, that anyone can escape from those awful feelings. Fascinating. Yeah, that's it's something that speaks to any generation, certainly ours today, with a lot of the um, uh, baggage that people carry for for, gen, for general reasons. So as you're thinking of a target audience, so to speak, uh, of the book that we've been discussing here, Guilt by Carol Hauslander, what do you envision as, like, who, uh, you know, what, like, demographics or things would you uh, recommend this book to? Wow, I think really it's a book for everyone. For priests, it would be very helpful to, to understand and be able to provide spiritual counseling in this very introspective level. And then for lay people, it's, I would especially recommend it to anyone who struggles with scrupulosity at all, because I didn't really have a chance to get into that, but she discusses scrupulosity as another one of these me- mechanisms of escape, because it's it's an overcompensation in the other direction of hanging right. on to your guilt, even after you've been absolved. Um, but really, for any stage in the spiritual life, self-knowledge can only be helpful. And a lot of us, I think, don't take the time to tr- truly introspect. We just do our routine examinations of conscience and just think that's good enough, confess the mortal sins, and then not really try to go any deeper than that. But this book will help you get to know what you may be just unwittingly doing to escape from guilt in your own life, um, and then to understand Catholic teaching even more deeply, um, not only about confession, but um, really providing this sense of freedom for conditions you may be suffering from or recurring thought patterns that you didn't know really had their um, origin, perhaps, in in sin, even original sin. Great. Um, I'm sorry, we just have a we just have a few seconds left before the segment ends. I was just going to ask you uh, here, Kristen, if um, could could you just throw out a couple of other titles, maybe as greatest hits uh, for people who would want to um, uh, introduce themselves to some of uh, Carol Hauslander's work? What would be some of the additional directions that you might want to point them to? Yeah. So I this is actually the first Carol Hauslander that I had read. Okay. But I know that another celebrated book of hers is called The Way of the Cross. Uh, she actually wrote Stations of the Cross Meditations because, as you mentioned, she she produced Stations of the Cross, so she actually wrote accompanying meditations to go along with that. Um, and then also her memoir, The the Rocking Horse Catholic, right. I think would be a good place to start to understand her and where she came from. 
terrific. Well, Kristen Van Uden, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, visit with us, and uh, all the best to you and this uh, and the really ministry that you're uh, providing uh, for for your brothers and sisters. Thank you so much, both of you fathers. God bless. Thank you very much. So we just have a couple of minutes left before the conclusion of the show, so let's toss things over to Rachel and Command Central to give us a preview of the next show. On the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central, Father Randall Kazel is your host, coming to you live from Pine Island, Minnesota. He'll be speaking with Sarah McLaughlin about her book, Praying with St. Augustine, and Kiara Wang will be sharing about events coming up at Sacred Heart Church in Aberdeen. All this and more is coming on the next Real Presence Live, Tuesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you. Very good. Thank you so much, Rachel. And I'm just assuming that it's not the same Sarah McLaughlin who was the 90s folk singer. I will remember you. Okay, anyway. So um, uh, you have a, you have some events coming up later in the year if you want to just uh, promote those, Father Leffer, the, uh, the retreats that uh, you've been asked to lead. Oh, sure. Yeah, we got that. Well, I just want to mention uh, this weekend. Yes. Coming up, not, not the immediate one, but the one following April 29th, 30th, the, our, our beloved brother, Knights of Columbus, are hosting their so state, next weekend. state convention. Okay. In, in, uh, and and f- they, found, they found a speaker for the state uh, keynote address. And uh, anyway, so a little nervous about that. You can say a prayer for that. But I think, uh, no, I think it's going to be wonderful. It's on the, on the Blessed Trinity and the, the U- Eucharist, promoting the year of the Eucharist. And I, I think it's going to be very inspiring. Well, and good always, luck with that. It's That's always great. good when, when the men get together and, and we're trying to branch out to make it family oriented mm-hmm. uh, also there. We've got, um, you can check out on uh, maryvalend.com. Uh, com or so the diocese of fargo ha, is promoting uh, retreats here now at, at maryvale in valley city and they have a couple of those coming up on may 25th through the 27th it's a men's retreat and it's oriented towards um getting at the identity being a beloved son of god on the natural level what does that look like then with grace uh, attached to it and all those who are going to that bike race for um uh, the UND and NDSU bike race. We'll, we actually have a competitive race up in uh, up in Walsh County, Western Walsh the County. Napa-Muck Well, we have a precursor. It's the, it's the spring classic. That'll be on May twelfth. Oh, kind of like to get get it going. Wow, they're, we're they're, we're expanding and things. Actually, yeah, there's three. There's gonna be three a year, and there's actually some money prizes involved with that. And you can you can uh, just look up the gnarly on your favorite bicycle websites, and uh, that race should pop up there if you're looking for it. So. Fantastic. All sorts of wonderful things coming up here. So thanks so much, uh, everybody, for uh, uh, checking out our program. And thank you for your continued support of Real Presence Radio, especially those who may have just been uh, recently uh, stumbling upon our programming here. We're so grateful to have you a part of our listening family, and we really consider it a family as we share in our uh, faith in Jesus Christ, uh, our um, love for the Lord, and uh, we uh, share in the experience of life as disciples. So we ask for uh, blessings for you and your families, especially our young people who will soon be graduating from high school and college, uh, all of the wonderful events that are coming up in the next few weeks, ordinations, anniversaries, weddings, confirmations, things like that. And uh, may Almighty God watch over you, bless you, and protect you always. Until next time, blessings to you and your families. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.